0: This morning's reading is Paul's letter to the Galatians, uh, starting at chapter 1, and you can find that on page 1168 of the Church Bibles. So that's chapter 1 and verses 1 to 10. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers with me. To the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory for ever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I was still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is the word of the Lord.
1: And as we know, we are beginning a series today in the book of Galatians. If I were to ask you to think of a song title with the word trapped in it, I wonder where you would go. Can you think of a song that contains the word trapped in its title? There we go. There's one. Caught in a Trap, No Turning Back. Maybe uh, you might go to the 1980s. That's where I go. Colonel Abraham's disco classic. It's called Trapped. I won't sing it to you. Don't worry. (laughs) Uh, Maybe I should because I can't play it. There are, of course, uh, others, some more ancient, some slightly more modern, but the one I want to draw your attention to this morning is Bruce Springsteen's. Any Bruce Springsteen fans here? No, one. (laughs) Okay. A couple. Okay, a few. All right, there we are. Go on, it's it's not not embarrassing to admit it. uh, actually, Bruce Springsteen's song uh, "Trapped" was originally by a chap called Jimmy Cliff, but Springsteen took it. He, he radically sort of reworked it, changed some of the lyrics, and he turned it into a classic that most people think of as his. That he plays it or used to play it a lot on tour. And if you've not heard it before, it, I think it's excellent because I think it really captures um, both the quiet fear and then that sort of more emotive anguish that we associate with that feeling of being trapped. So, I wonder if you can think of a time that you were trapped. Where were you? How did it feel when you were trapped? What was going on? How did you get free from that? feeling of being trapped. I don't know what's come to mind when you've uh, when, when you've listened to those questions, but maybe you thought of something physical. I was once trapped on the scree on the side of a of a cliff. Every time I tried to move to escape, I wanted to go down. No, I couldn't do that. I was, I was slipping. I wanted to go back up. No, I couldn't do that. I, I, I was slipping. I, I, I was just sliding out of control. I was absolutely terrified. It wasn't made any easier by the fact that my father and my sister were at the bottom looking up at me, laughing at me, saying, come on, stop <laughs> messing around. But I couldn't go up. I couldn't go down. I was terrified. I felt trapped. I needed help. That's a physical example. Maybe you thought of something relational. Maybe you felt trapped relationally. Friends or family pressuring you into something that you were uncomfortable with or, or didn't really want to do. Or maybe you had a desire to express something and, and yet you felt trapped because you weren't sure of what the fallout um, or the reaction would be to what you wanted to express. Maybe you felt trapped Politically, fearful of what a change of government might mean for you, for your family. Maybe you felt so trapped that that has meant that you have needed to move country. Maybe you felt trapped. The example in your mind was something to do with behaviour. You know, the way that you, the way that you think, something that you do, or a habit that you've gotten into. And it feels now beyond your control to do anything about it. You're enslaved by it. You're unable to break free. Look, I recognize that for many of you this morning, this may well be a live issue. This isn't just a historic issue. You may be feeling trapped in some way right now. And the feelings are deep. And you're wondering if freedom is even possible. Well, this is how Springsteen, to go back to his song, describes it. He says this, well it seems like I'm caught up in your trap again and it seems like I'll be wearing the same old chains. But then a note of hope, this is Bruce Springsteen, he says good will conquer evil and the truth will set you free and I know someday I'll find the key. If you know the song he goes yeah I know someday I'll find the key. Folks, I'm here to tell you this morning that freedom is possible, not only as Springsteen seems to to suggest as a future hope, someday I'll find the key, not only that, but also as a present reality. Jesus Christ lived, died and rose again to set you free so that you could live free and not be hopelessly trapped. Now that might seem like news too good to be true to you, but whether you've been a Christian for five minutes or 50 years, or whether you're here just exploring faith for the, in sort of the first times, my challenge to you, wherever you're at, is that as we start this series, my challenge to you is this. If the message of Christianity doesn't strike you in some way as news too good to be true, then you can be absolutely sure That you haven't understood it. Let me say that again. If the message of Christianity, that is freedom, by faith alone, through grace alone, in Jesus alone, if that message doesn't strike you as too good to be true, you can be absolutely sure you've not properly understood it. But here's the miraculous thing. Here's the miraculous thing, the good news of Jesus And what it means for your life, whether that's physically, whether that's relationally, whether that's politically, whether that's emotionally or behaviorally, that good news is not too good to be true. It's not. It most certainly is true. And as Springsteen rightly captures, he says, I promise you the truth, in other words, Jesus, we could put in there, the truth will set you free. Jesus says, doesn't he, I am the way, I am the truth And the life. So stick with us on Sunday mornings in these coming months. As we explore why that is the case and how that is the case. Let me pray though for us this morning before we go any further. Let's pray. Heavenly Father we do thank you for the amazing nature of the gospel. The gospel of good news. The good news of Jesus. And although this letter that we're going to look at was written many, many years ago. We believe that you still wish to speak to us through it today. So please enable us, by the power of your spirit, to hear your voice this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you haven't already, please do grab your Bibles and turn back to uh, Galatians, the book of Galatians. This is 1168. It begins on page 1168 in the Church Bibles. And for those of you who who maybe have been Christians for some time and are familiar with God's word, Paul's letter to the Galatians, uh, um, or to the churches in Galatia. This is in what we now know as modern-day Turkey, by the way. Um, Paul's letter to them contains many familiar and crucial passages, actually. So let me just uh, give you a couple of examples. Um, If you look at chapter 2 and verse 16, so that's big 2 and little 16, it's on page 1169, um, you'll see there that it says that man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. We're not, we're not saved by observing the law, but by faith. Or 2.20, just a few verses later, to the, down to the little, uh, little number 20, um, uh, it's at the top of the second paragraph, says this, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I'm sure some of us are familiar with that verse. Or over the page, chapter 5, verse 1, says this, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It's for freedom. He says, stand firm then. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. In other words, don't go back to being trapped. It's beautiful, isn't it? These verses, some of us are familiar with them. We're going to be so blessed in these coming weeks to spend time slowly working our way through this book and looking at them. But let me also say this, because Galatians contains some chunks, especially in chapters 3 and 4, uh, which can feel like heavy going can feel pretty alien and complicated to us. And we're going to get there in a few weeks' time. Suffice to say, though, I want to urge you to stick with it. Because I promise you, there is plenty of stuff in here that is of contemporary relevance to us today. And the central issue, the main issue, if you like, that Paul is primarily concerned about, as he writes to these Christians in Galatia, is this, he is concerned to know how anyone can rightly relate to the one true God. How can anyone actually rightly relate to the one true God who created us? And his very simple answer is this, it is only through faith. Faith, faith in Jesus, nothing else. And here's the thing, folks. That simple yet profound truth, that simple yet profound message of good news is under attack today just as much as it was in Paul's time. There is a whole world out there. There's a whole spiritual battle raging that wants to convince and deceive us otherwise. And take us away from the simplicity and the purity of that message. They want to tell us that that news is too good to be true. It's not true. Sometimes they'll convince us that there is more to it than this. There's more to it than just faith. And it's way more complicated. You know, it's not just simple faith and grace. It's not. There's more to it. Sometimes the world will choose the opposite argument and insist that we are the ones who are making it complicated. We're making it way more complicated than it needs to be. And do you know what? Actually, not even faith is necessary. don't need to believe. Everyone will be all right in the end. But at the end of the day, there is only one gospel we can rely on. And the life we now live in the flesh, to use Paul's words, the life we now live in the flesh must be based on this one gospel. Let's get into it then. Uh, Chapter 1, verses uh, 1 to 10. I've got three main, um, hopefully easy to remember headings, okay, for you this morning. The man, the message, the motive. Okay, that's what we're going to look through in these first 10 verses. The man, the message, the motive. Firstly then, the man. Who is this chap? Who is this chap? Well, he identifies himself for us in verse 1. He says this, Paul, an apostle. What's an apostle? An apostle is someone who is sent. He says, sent, not from men nor, from, nor, nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers with me to the churches in Galatia. There's his introduction. And Paul isn't showing off here. He's not boasting. But he needs to be clear because some were saying that he was not as special as the 12 disciples. That he didn't have their God-given authority through personal contact with Jesus. But he did. He did have that authority. And he needs to insist on that just as much, um, that he is just as much as an apostle as the 12. Because like them, he is sent. He is sent by Jesus. John Stott, who some of you will be familiar with, is so helpful in drawing um, out the significance of this. He says this. He says, the word apostle was not a general word which could be applied to every Christian. You know, like believer or brother or saint. We can use that word, can't we, of each other. But we cannot use the word apostle of each other in this sense, at least not with a capital A. It was a special term, he says, reserved for the twelve and for one or two others whom the risen Christ had personally appointed. And then he says this. There can therefore be no apostolic succession other than a loyalty to the apostolic doctrine of the New Testament. Let me say that again. (laughs) There can therefore be no apostolic succession other than a loyalty to the apostolic doctrine of the New Testament. In other words... What John Stott is trying to articulate here is that if you believe something different, something additional, something less, than what the apostles themselves, those that were appointed by Jesus, have passed on, then that is not authentic, orthodox, biblical Christianity. All that we need is contained in these pages. It may not be all that we want, but it is all that we need. Extra biblical revelations, forget it. Contra biblical um, thoughts or, or you know, things that are contrary to scripture, not interested. Missing out bits that are too difficult or a little, a little bit too culturally sensitive, All of that is not authentic, orthodox, biblical Christianity. And what Paul is saying is this. This is not a message that I've made up. It is direct from God and therefore it matters and it shouldn't be tampered with. And what's more, reassuringly, Paul here is uh, no lone wolf. He's no whack job, just operating in isolation. He's not on his own. Verse 2, if you look at verse 2, he says, All the brothers with me say hi. Oh no, he doesn't say that bit, but he, that's, that's what he means. It's not just me, all the brothers are with me. But you get the gist, don't you? The man, Paul's, uh, the man, Paul, God's appointed messenger, commissioned by Jesus himself on the Damascus road. Next, the message, the message, and it's simply this, there is no other gospel but this one. There is no other gospel but this one. For all those who are trapped, there is no other way to be right with God and with each other than through this uh, message. And you've got to sense Paul's urgency, his frustration, his, his, his righteous anger here. Because the letter starts by pulling no punches. Far from it. Unlike many of the other letters that Paul writes uh, that we have in the New Testament, uh, there's no thanksgiving uh, for the Galatians at the start of this uh, uh, letter. There's no gentle introduction. There's no uh, nice opening prayer at the beginning. No. In this one, he jumps right in and he says, I'm Paul. I'm an apostle. This is the gospel. And then look at verse 6. What does he say? He accuses them of turning to a different one. And what is more, he's astonished at the speed with which they've done it. You can't believe it. To give you some perspective here, most commentators agree that this is probably one of the earliest letters in the New Testament, if not one of the earliest books of, of the New Testament, probably written within about 20 years of the death of Jesus. Jesus. Somewhere around AD 47, 48, something like that. And they have already turned from the one who called them. They're moving to a different message. And just to be clear though, right at the start, Paul includes the true gospel. So he gives a summary of it. If you look at verse 3, he says this, Grace and peace to you, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He is reminding them that first and foremost the good news is all about grace. The grace of God in rescuing us who us who are otherwise hopelessly lost, hopelessly trapped in all sorts of circumstances. But hopelessly lost and trapped primarily in a state of hostility before God. Because of our sin. That is the big issue. That's the main issue. And God's grace removes that hostility and brings us into a right relationship of peace. So we get grace and peace. Peace with God because of what Jesus has done. What has he done? Verse 4. He has given himself for our sins. To rescue us from the present evil age. According to the will of our God and Father. (sighs) Please don't miss this. Please don't miss this. The one true gospel. The only gospel. Is primarily the good news that the death of Jesus on the cross. Was a substitutionary sacrifice. For our sin. Now that might sound like a bit of a mouthful, but what it means is that Jesus was on that cross in your place and in my place. He died the death that we deserve for the way that we ignore God and the way that we treat other people. He subbed in for you, He became the sacrifice that that, that you can't be to take the punishment that you deserve so that you don't have to. Does that sound like news too good to be true? That's what he did. And it might well sound like news too good to be true, but it's not. It's what we mean by grace. It's completely undeserved and it's absolutely stunning. Look, I'm sure for some of you that may well have raised more questions in your mind. And if so, look, we're going to be unpacking this as we go uh, in the coming weeks. coming weeks. going to be going into more detail as we go through Paul's letter. So do please keep coming back to hear more about that over the next few months. But so far we've seen this. We've seen who uh, the man is, Paul, an apostle, the sent one. We've seen what the message is. It's no other gospel but this one. And before we get into the motive... Let me, let me just allow us to sort of track with Paul on some of the implications of this. Because that's what he does in the next few verses. Here's the first implication. If we follow a different message, we abandon God. If we follow a different message, we're as good as abandon God. Verse 6 again, have a look. Paul says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ. That's how he called you. And what are you doing? You're turning to a different gospel. See that? If you turn to a different gospel, you desert God. We've already noted how quickly this must have transpired for the Galatian believers. But what had actually happened Well, it appears that they had been swayed by the offer of a different gospel that was coming to them from people who are inside the church but who either disagreed with that message or disliked that apostolic preaching. Does that sound familiar? If nothing else, this is why Galatians is very much a letter for today. And it's very, very serious, spiritually speaking, because it's the equivalent of abandoning God. If we get distracted by a a distorted, by a different, by an incomplete gospel, then we are in big trouble. Second thing to note. Some people will cause trouble by confusing the gospel. This is verse 7. Have a look at verse 7. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. I've got to be honest, I find this such an apt description of our current context in the national church today. Confusion reigns. Those who argue for a change in hundreds of years of orthodox understanding do so in a way that throws us into confusion and perverts the the one true gospel's true meaning. Notice, though, how it's just some people here for Paul who cause the trouble. It's not everyone. And I think that's still true today, and therefore, discernment is needed. How will we spot a different gospel? Well, answer here, partly by the confusion. Partly by confusion. 1 Corinthians 14 reminds us that God is not a God of confusion or disorder, but he is a God of peace. I mean, that passage is about the right order in church meetings. That's his context. But that truth is nevertheless applicable here too. Confusion is not a fruit of the spirit. Peace is. At different times in history, different people have confused and distorted and perverted the beautiful good news of Jesus. For example, Paul was grappling with those who wanted to insist that new converts to to Jesus needed to obey existing Jewish laws too. That was, if you like, gospel plus. Gospel plus, don't eat bacon. Gospel plus, you need to be circumcised. So on. In another part of the New Testament, the issue was about those who thought grace was actually more of an excuse to indulge and, in, and participate in immoral behavior. It's okay. Crack on. The grace of God is there. It doesn't matter. Just do what you like anyway. God will forgive you. That's gospel minus. Gospel minus ongoing obedience. Gospel minus repentance, ongoing repentance. And Paul says, look, it doesn't matter if you pervert it by adding to it or you pervert it by taking away from it. It is all a confusing, different gospel. And it is hard here, really hard, not to pause and reflect on what is going on within our own denomination. Because when the senior representatives of our church are, are prepared to officially sanction blessing something which God calls sin... Whilst at the same time saying that doctrine hasn't changed, but then openly stating that they would like to go further, where else does that leave us but in a state of utter confusion with a perverted gospel? As one former colleague of mine has said, what Paul is astonished and distressed by is all around us. And but for the grace of God, it will destroy the church in this country. Friends, we need to take care to avoid being confused, misled, and trapped by a different gospel. And we need to pray for those in senior leadership. Many of whom genuinely believe that they are doing the right thing before God. We need to pray that God would reveal to them the catastrophic error of their ways. And look, if you think I'm being a little over the top here, um, uh, or too emotional or whatever, then consider this third implication of what Paul is writing in his opening salvo to the Galatians. Because the third implication is this, to pervert and change the gospel is deadly serious. It is deadly serious. Look, take a look again at verses 8 and 9. Paul writes this. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel, other other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. Wow. And if that isn't strong enough, Paul wants to double down again. Uh, He wants to double down and he repeats it. Uh, So, um, as we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than the one that you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Please let there be no misunderstanding here. This is a salvation issue. If we don't get this good news right, if we don't proclaim it faithfully from here, If you don't talk about it faithfully in your context with your friends and your families and your work colleagues, then souls will not be rescued from eternal damnation. It's that serious. This is why the statement that has come out of the GAFCON meeting this week is so strong, and rightly so. That's where Mike's been this past week. Because they recognize, like Paul, the seriousness Of this situation. And notice too how no one is excluded here. Paul says, Look, even if an angel preaches something different. What? Even if an angel preaches something different? Paul says, Even if we do, even if I go off the rails, Paul is saying, and I preach something different, then don't listen to me because I am condemned. It's not me, it's the message. So the principle is true, however unexpected the source of of confusion and perversion may be. That source might be an angel. It might be an archbishop. It might be a bishop. It might be me, here in this pulpit. And this is a matter of life or death. So if it's me... Please, would you love me enough to come and challenge me and speak to me? Or anybody who stands in this pulpit here. Each of us, each one of us must be ready to challenge any of us who teach and preach or commend or allow a different gospel. But as Paul will come on to say later in his book, we do so in the Spirit's power, don't we? We do it gently. We do it kindly, we do it in love, we do it compassionately, but yes, where necessary, we do it decisively and firmly too. And so because of all this, because if we follow a different message, we abandon God. Because some people distort and confuse the gospel, because it is deadly serious, it is therefore not arrogant to proclaim this gospel. It is essential quite literally a matter of life or death it is the only way that trapped people can be saved and set free when I was trapped on that scree on the cliff I needed help I needed someone to show me the way off fortunately after realizing that I was actually in a bit of trouble and I was panicking my dad came back up (laughs) he didn't just stay there and uh, he told me what to do he gave me the good news that if i just shifted my body weight slightly that if i if i tried to traverse down the slope rather than going straight down or straight up it was possible to do so without sliding to my death that was good news to me i needed to hear it i was i was rescued he wasn't being arrogant he was just passing on essential life-saving advice The man, Paul, a messenger sent by God. The message, there is no other gospel of salvation but this one. This one here, don't add to it, don't pervert it, don't take away from it. And finally, the motive. The motive is God's approval and not man's. This is verse 10. Paul says this, Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant. Of Christ. I mean, quite how anyone could think that Paul was trying to please men after he's openly condemned false teachers in such a manner is a bit beyond me, but clearly some thought he was. And so here he underlines that serving Christ is what counts. That's his motivation. That's why he gets up in the morning and does what he does. He wants to know God better through his word. He wants to love what God loves, who God loves. He wants to serve anywhere that God leads. That is how we stand strong for the true gospel. By doing those things. Knowing God better, loving who he loves, serving where he leads. Not by trying to please people. Not by trying to accommodate different world views and feelings or emotions, not by changing the message to make it more culturally acceptable or relevant. Woe Paul says to those who do. Woe to those who do. Friends, please join me in praying that Paul's message and Paul's motive would be our message and our motive. And the message and the motive Of the leaders of our denomination and all Christian churches in this nation. And may then we together proclaim the one true gospel in order to please the one true God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this letter. It's stern stuff. It gets to the core of our being and the core of our faith. We thank you for the example of your servant, Paul. And we pray that you would, by the power of your spirit, allow that one true gospel message to be our gospel message in the way that we proclaim it. And that his motivation of serving and pleasing you would be our motivation. Lord, Lord, we want to get up in the morning, each morning, to know you better, to love what and who you love, and to look for where you are leading and to serve you there. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.